0: Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and joining me today, and I'm going to say in my best Italian accent, Giacomo Zucco. Now Giacomo was very kind to come on the show and give up uh, a lot of his time, we went a little bit over time, so Giacomo I apologize for that if you're listening back to this, but we got into some we got down some random rabbit holes. Uh, listen, listen to this one as we take uh, a real kind of look into Giacomo's mind, if nothing else. I mean, this guy is firing on all cylinders. We get into quantum physics, quantum computing. God knows how. And of course, we talk about Bitcoin. And of course, we talk about uh, the, the other areas of interest uh, for Giacomo and what's going on right now in the world. We touch on the vaccine and his, his past Um, looking at um, well and uh, what what he's been doing looking at all of the data and trying to figure out what's going on and he has some very interesting points to make on that so and then we talk about his deepfake memes and whether or not he's going to go to Bitcoin conference 2021 in drag as Britney Spears but that's right at the end so you know we'll, we'll get to that before we do start this show I would like to give a shout out to the show sponsors that's coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten and swanbitcoincom forward slash bitten go and check out those companies if you're in the UK or the US and you want to start stacking sats or you want to up your stacking or you want to change uh, the service these guys are bitcoin only they're 100% legit they're very very focused on education They've got your backs. Let's do this with Giacomo. Enjoy and catch you after the show. Okay, Giacomo, welcome to the show. Great to uh, great to have you on, man. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, you know, is, is that a bastardization English way of saying your name? Could, could you say in Italian in, in how it truly? Sh- Giacomo Zucco.
1: So Giacomo is uh, m- many people when they write down english people they write it Giacomo which is like double c or double m it's just Giacomo and the first the first uh, sound is kind of tricky the g is like uh, phonetically is d plus j so Giacomo Zucco
0: Okay okay all right so not too bad not too bad we we do have a habit uh, us english with our um like blunt tongues, I suppose, is a good way to put it. We, you know, I'm learning, I live here in France and learning French and, you know, trying to speak the accent. It's just like we, we don't have that ability. So anyway, it, well, it wasn't too bad. You have the network effect, so you don't need to. Uh, it's, it's yeah, just this is true. <laughs> this is true. The network effect of English. Mate, uh, we've both got big smiles on our face. Yeah. Um, the, this is obviously just an, an audio pod, but the reason being, at time of recording, the the, the news that um, Tesla have just put one and a half billion dollars into into Bitcoin and are going to start accepting payments for their for their cars in Bitcoin has just hit, and the price in US dollar term just shot through the roof to forty. What was the absolute top? Let me get this right. Yeah, forty-four. Yeah, yeah. 600, pretty much.
1: Yeah, it's dancing around 45.
0: I mean... Oh.
1: <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, green candles are always fun to watch, but I think the really funny thing was actually the the uh, like blatant, uh, absolutely uh, shameless insider trading that Elon played with trolling with shit coins before. So basically, it was it basically everybody was seeing it coming a little bit. Anybody watching closely, anyway, when he started to ask to, uh, to Michael Saylor, how can you really do that with your balance sheet? And Michael said, okay, call me and let's discuss this. So it was in the air. But then he started to basically uh, to, to do the classical shitcoin talk, like, yeah, Bitcoin is low, Dogecoin is way better. And it was, I mean, to me, it was kind of clear he was trolling. But then lots of people were actually misdirected. Then he buys and now he's back to bitcoin. So a typical inside inside the trader, which I, which I, I mean I'd say that with the most uh, with the utter respect to, uh, to inside the traders because I, I don't believe in regulations and stuff. I mean the price is the price. If you have more information, there will never be perfect information symmetry. So if you have more information and you are not breaking any agreement that you are doing with the counterparty, do whatever you want, pump, dump, whatever. Uh, Shitcoiners are doing that all the time.
0: Yeah, that, that's one thing I, I wanted to ask you about, actually, because I was discussing this um, earlier on with uh, with some other Bitcoiners and it was really starting to piss me off seeing his tweets come in about uh, about. Doggy Doge Dodgy Dodgy Coin I think is a, probably a good one, um, because yeah yeah one yes is it insider trading um, I get your point completely on uh, you know we don't like regulations in in the Bitcoin space uh, he does have a past with this with the SEC when he talked about taking Tesla private he was wrapped on the knuckles for it I think he's playing a very very dangerous game with this as well yeah but more importantly a lot of people are going to get wrecked that were following him in his fanboys now i don't think that's going to sit well with that many people especially people who respect him and believe him and would blindly follow him as we know millions do now they've got this bag of dodgy coin and he's tweeting out with you know a real tweet with the, um, w- you know, with the written, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, report saying uh, one and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, I understand your point, and I also I also share it. But the point is that I'm very conflicted. I have mixed feelings about this because this is a point where, uh, like, uh, moral ambiguity, and uh, w- which is something that can be a little bit subjective and is very much con- context dependent. And it can piss me off because some people are going to get, are going to get hurt, but it also entertains me. Uh, on the other hand, is basically clashing with uh, violent, uh, with violent enforcement of some kind of financial central planning. So when we are talking about free choice, when we are talking about discussing the merits of an idea, and I uh, see a shit corner, I, I can I can be very toxic with him. I can say uh, this is nonsense. This is a scam. This is bad. This is unethical. This is not integrity. But then we are talking about speech. So you're saying something that I, I feel inaccurate or, uh, or, uh, or not, uh, not really honest or, uh, or, or distorted. And I will, I, will start, I, will, I will just call you out. But if we're talking between people speaking in good and in bad and people trying to enforce central planning with guns, I will always side with the scammers. Uh, uh, if my alternative is uh, enforces it's like you know John McAfee. Okay, John McAfee is a fraudster. He, he just he just spent two years basically taking advantages of idiots in order to make a lot of money. Which, from one side, from this point of view of uh, Darwin selection, is a little bit like I mean inevitable. If you are going to fall for the coin of the day scam, I mean you are really beyond help. I cannot do anything for you. I'm sorry. I I I I feel your pain in losing money, but you are just greedy. You don't, you, you didn't study anything. You are just. Uh, it's it's basically on you. Uh, on the other hand, if I'm trying to make a serious discussion about Bitcoin, uh, it pisses it pisses me off to have something like John McAfee coins of the coin of the day uh, in, in intruding the discussion and mixing up reality with fiction. Uh, just because he has to, to pump his bags. So it's annoying if we have to have a serious discussion. But then when, when Armand uh, Armin Tuts come to put uh, an 80 years old man in jail because the way he the people is not compatible with the way that uh, the, 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 the IRS wants you to scam people with, uh, I mean, in that case, I am all for uh, John McAfee. And this is the same thing. Uh, people getting wrecked with uh, with Elon, I-, I'm, I-, I dislike noise. I like signal. So when Elon is trolling about Dogecoin, that's annoying to me. On the other hand, uh, I know that if you're really uh, getting wrecked because you're buying Dogecoin, it's, I mean, probably you were just going wrecked by a Nigerian prince or by some a larger penis mechanism or whatever because you are clearly beyond help. So uh, there is this mixed feelings in me. I like calling out shitcoiners. I think that it's, it's good that we have some kind of separation between noise and signal in this so-called industry. So I'm, I'm very obnoxious about filtering out. If I'm talking with a, with a, with a journal, uh, with a podcast, I will always be annoying about, guys, let's talk Bitcoin, which is something serious, and then there, we can have fun with shitcoin, which is just a, a, a crazy French, a frenzy. With no kind of fundamental, and with no no count of serious discussing going on. But then, if you if you uh, if the fight is between uh, scammers and the SEC, uh, well, I cannot hide a fascination uh, towards scammers.
0: <laughs> and do you think uh, we, it's been said in the space before that uh, you know many many people have come in via the, the gateway drug of a shitcoin do you, do, you, do you think that is something at play here the the people that have followed into Dogecoin you know maybe he's attracted tens if not hundreds of thousands of people to the space will now do the work and and figure out you know what Bitcoin is
1: uh, I think they will I will I will disagree with the exact analogy of a gateway drugs be, meaning that people they they usually uh, there are always exception but typically, People don't get exposed to uh, a shitcoin first. They get exposed to Bitcoin. They feel late. They feel that there is a lot of study. They feel that there is a community which is very demanding about uh, do your, your own your own research, be independent, run a node, uh, use cold storage, and then the, and the narrative is very honest. Like there are these trade offs uh, there are these limitations, and then after Bitcoin, they uh, they they get exposed to shitcoins that will actually promise. Uh, uh, crazy gains uh, or, uh, or a new uh, science fiction features. And then they feel like, okay, I'm not late to Bitcoin. I'm just new to the new Bitcoin. And so they will switch. So typically it's not that shitcoins are, are, uh, are aggregating people and then Bitcoin is filtering. Bitcoin is aggregating. Shitcoins are basically diverting people from Bitcoin for a while. But then even if it's not a gateway, I agree it's a ritual of passage basically and it was for me and typically it's a ritual of passage to adjust your sense of skepticism because before bitcoin uh, especially for me like i was a libertarian and i was grow i had grown to be very skeptical about any kind of libertarian project or tool basically because my, the typical experience was okay this this is this is just this is right use but this just doesn't work. I mean, uh, all the libertarian dreams ultimately, they, they, they fail. They never work. Uh, I mean, free state project, uh, uh, some kind of uh, ranch in Chile to be libertarian. Uh, every kind of project that, that I was exposed to in that world was ultimately going to fail. Uh, just elect a paul to end the Fed. I mean, it's never going to work. It's just a dream. It's just a, a nice and, and, and uh, rational dreams, but still a dream. Uh, with Bitcoin... Uh, There is the first shock in which you are skeptical, you don't accept Bitcoin, but then Bitcoin proves you wrong and it works. And so at that point, having destroyed your skepticism, your barrier of skepticism, you often go all the way uh, uh, to the other side of the pendulum uh, and you become a shitcoiner. That happened to me back in 2013. Like one week I was, Bitcoin cannot work. The next week I was, okay, fuck, Bitcoin works. And then uh, I I was okay. Maybe also this kind of Ripple and Namecoin. Let's check those out because they can work as well. And I've seen the same with my clients. Like in Switzerland, my clients are mostly banks, uh, small uh, commercial banks, uh, family family family-run commercial banks. And like the narrative in 2014 was. uh, uh like uh, please uh guys you have uh, i mean I, I was the one trying to convince them and they were absolutely risk adverse i don't know if we can touch bitcoin this is so volatile this may be centralized for china miners a lot of objections then in 2017 it it, uh, it was like them asking me, please, we want to extend our cool storage project for the ICO of my cousin that just launched in the small uh, Swiss city, and they're going to take over uh, the cloud storage in the world. And I was the one, like, cooling them down, like, wait a second, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And I had to, uh, I had to basically uh, beg my clients to become less risk prone and more adversarial and more conservative. So it's a typical dynamic. And it's possibly inevitable. Uh, as as long as Bitcoin is luring more people in in uh, in more in uh, in a new cycle, uh, this kind of experience cannot probably be prevented. Uh, we can try to mitigate it, uh, just uh, ch- trying to put around some noise. And uh, I think that one thing that could help would be actually uh, be very selective, at least. In the serious discussions, like if we're going to make to have a conference, if we're going to write a book uh, or something like that, let's just don't uh, include uh, shitcoin bullshit and just just like focus on on, on Bitcoin. Then uh, the fact that uh, shitcoiners will eventually try to take advantage of a new in- uh, incoming wave of people to distract them, it's probably inevitable for, uh, as long as there will be cycles of uh, of new people coming in.
0: What was the shitcoin you were drawn to in 2013?
1: Uh, so I was, uh, uh, I, was, uh, I was fallen in, uh, uh, basically, I was scammed by Satoshi Nakamoto himself, <laughs> being <laughs> that, uh, yeah, Satoshi Nakamoto positively commented Ripple in a forum. And a Ripple guy told me that. And what I did not know back then, it was that Satoshi Nakamoto was actually talking about a project called Ripple that started actually two years before Bitcoin itself, it was something similar to the routing mechanism of the routing network. There was, there was no shitcoin involved. There, w- there was no blockchain, no crypto whatsoever. It was basically an account mechanism where you could have debt or credit with another person in the system with, uh, with a public key and a private key, and you could route automatically the debt. So you could ripple. So if I owe something to you, you owe something to Bob, we can just route the, the, the credit. And that was the project. And Satoshi said, it is interesting. This project was that in in, uh, in 2013 and a new project took over the name uh, of Ripple and they just launched a centralized shitcoin and uh, with some of the ideas. And so I was, uh, I was actually scammed into believing this was the original pre-Bitcoin uh, scam coin. And the other one was, uh, I was very... Uh, yeah, I, w- I, was, I was really clueless. I was studying a lot NXT. That was this kind of, uh, the, the very proposition was, okay, this is just another clone of Bitcoin, but we just rewritten all the cryptography from scratch, uh, which uh, w- with the knowledge of now, it's clearly a red flag. Like, if you're rewriting the crypto from scratch, this is going to be a disaster. But back then, it, it sounded to me like a value proposition. I was not coming from anything security related. So for me, it was, uh, okay, this may have sound design. But the, the real point is that even without talking about specific projects, back then, I did not understand the, pro- the fundamental problem that uh, cryptocurrencies cannot be scarce, that digital scarcity cannot exist with an, an arbitrary number of uh, currency that everybody can emit. Then after that, I started to read uh, Nick Sabo about uh, um, uh, unforgeable costliness of money, about the fact that money must be hard to produce and costly to produce. Otherwise, you will have this kind of incentive to produce more and more. And so, uh, cryptocurrency as an asset class started to be clearly uh, nonsense to me. To look clearly as nonsense to me in I, I think in 2014. And also, I met uh, the creator of Green Address where I was working as well in 2014, Lawrence Naum, and he actually took care of explaining me the technical side of shitcoins. Like he he showed me, uh, I mean, look at this code base. They are cloning uh, code from Bitcoin without even commenting the right thing. So he showed me that the level of technical knowledge of people creating shitcoin was embarrassing and dangerous. And at the same time, uh, reading nick sabo and other economic uh, economic focused uh, cypherpunks make me think about uh, scarcity in principle and so shitcoin cannot work uh, not just because they are bad in specific instances but because they are by definition unsustainable
0: mate that's that's a great story you were trolled by satoshi <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, Lauren has uh, she she's come in, listeners. I know the listeners are like, "What the hell? These guys got into it without even asking Lauren." But she was she was busy. But uh, Lauren, this is uh, Giacomo. Hi, hi, Lauren. How are you? So, um, good,
1: and you? Good, thank you. Thanks for joining.
0: <laughs> now, what did you want to ask Giacomo? She always, <laughs> that's because I was in a class and I had to focus on my work. Okay, uh, what's your favorite thing about Bitcoin? Uh,
1: yeah, very good question. I think the favorite thing about Bitcoin for me was the fact that it was uh, uh, an excuse to put together very different, very, very different uh, uh, topics and uh, passions that I was, uh, that I was uh, following in my life, so I was. I was I was interested in technology uh, and during my work in my day, I was following technology. But then I was also interested in politics, like uh, how money works, uh, how money can work better. And I was uh, active about that in another part of my life, which was completely separated. And then I was interested in uh, something like, uh, you know, finance, how to make a good investment uh, for my family and for me. And that was another part of my life. And it was completely separate. And Bitcoin is the only topic that I found in my life that basically forced me to put everything together in the same topic. Everything I was interested in, hence had some kind of aspect of Bitcoin involved. Yeah, consider that when I was a kid, when I was your age, I, I was not as focused as you in something. Uh, I mean, uh, my, 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 uh, one day I wanted to be an archaeologist uh, because I've just seen too many Indiana Jones movies. And the other day, I wanted to be a singer, and the other day an is an, an inventor, and the other day, uh, so basically, it was very messy. And this went on even in my adult age. When I was, uh, when I was 30, I wanted to be uh, basically one day an economist, one day as a physicist, one day an entrepreneur, one day an investor, one day a politician. And I was changing all the time my interest and my topic, and then I could never focus. Uh, Bitcoin is all of them together in a single attractor that makes it very easy to follow all my patients in one same container.
0: That's good analogy. I like that. Do you have any other questions? Yeah, I think I got another one. Okay. Wait, did you already ask this question? I don't know. Ask Jakimo. That... Let's find out. Why
1: did you buy Bitcoin? Well, this is uh, th- this is an answer that I have to be very careful with. So look at my face. I did not buy any Bitcoin because <laughs> Bitcoin is a private thing. So I like to talk about Bitcoin, but I never bought any Bitcoin, and I don't have any and uh, so I, I cannot answer your question oh that's sad
0: yes that's uh, sad <laughs> Giacomo you should look into and you should honestly look into getting some um, I, I'm going to start my uh, doing my research as well and uh, might make my first <laughs> purchase sometime in um, the next year or two
1: yeah a good thing <laughs> is that the listeners of the podcast they will not see the wing, so they will, they will uh... <laughs>
0: Okay, um, did you want to say goodbye? Uh, yeah, sure. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Mate, I wanted to actually, it's it's good that um, Lauren asked you that question, and you, you talked about uh, you never knew what you wanted to do growing up. I, I, I've listened to um, a fair few of your podcasts before, but I've never heard about... Uh, little Giacomo, you know what was going on. Where, where, where did you grow up, and uh, you know what was uh, what was life like for you? Uh, you don't have to dox your age, um, but you could, uh, you know.
1: <laughs> well, uh, the, my age is the age I will self-identify with, so in, right. in this uh, in this word is is not important. No, I, I was born in uh, nineteen eighty three. Uh, in Milan. So on one side, compared to people uh, uh, being born in uh, English-speaking countries, I was a little bit disconnected in the periphery. But still, to be in Italy, I was pretty privileged because it was a big center of Italy. It was uh, the, the place where most people from other parts of Italy come to study or to work. And also back then, it was probably better than now. Italy was not, re- Italy was not yet uh, so much set in the road to Venezuela as, as it is now. So it was a, it was an interesting point to, to grow up uh, in. And um, I, I made, uh, when I was uh, younger, I, I took uh, on classical studies. Uh, so it means like uh, Latin, Greek, history, because I wanted to, uh, as I said before, it was not the job. I wanted to become an archaeologist. Uh, but then when I finished uh, classical studies, I was super bored of archaeology and I was excited about theoretical physics. So I just joined a physics university and I had my degree. But by the time I had my degree, uh, I was only fixated with uh, uh, with uh, Austrian economics and uh, history of uh, money and central banking and free banking and stuff like that. So I, I finished my degree in, in, in physics without any kind, well, with very low interest in physics residual. So it was keep changing. I did most of my study in Milan. I didn't have to move much. Indeed, I, I learned English pretty recently uh, just because of Bitcoin. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was in 2015. And Lawrence Naum, the, the guy we were discussing, invited me uh, in a, uh, with him in a conference in Odessa, uh, a conference called the Blockchain Incredible Party. And everybody was presenting and they asked me to present too. And I, I have read books in English for physics, a lot of them, and also using computers. Of course, I was reading instructions in English, but I, I haven't had the occasion to talk about uh, uh, talk in English basically ever. Uh, even I was a, a technology consultant in Accenture uh, in uh, until 2000, uh, 2013 for four years, but my clients were basically all Italian and, and, and German. Uh, there, were, there were no uh, and I, I don't speak even German, but basically everybody was working with was either speaking Italian or just writing in English. So I had to learn it from from scratch. And um, and then I started to get involved more and more in the, in the recent years. Uh, I, 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 I got married in 2010. So after the invention of Bitcoin, but way before my first uh, impact with Bitcoin that actually came uh, more than three years later
0: so i'm assuming up until that point you you just well you just, yeah you just described you had a fiat job right um consulting yeah. for accenture
1: after um after physics after the degree uh, i didn't want to do research in physics anymore i was a little bit bored also i, I hate academic world i really i am completely unsuperable with academics and uh, so i wanted to not be a th- uh, well i do teach physics in another institute, but just a few hours a year, and it's not an academic job at all. It's, just like, it's more like a, a, a hobby for me. And I didn't want to do that as a job. So I started to look at people um, uh, hired by multinational for a finance-related job. They were hiring mathematicians and phys- uh, physicists for a finance stuff. So I, want, I was oriented in that direction. But then one of the proposals I received was by Accenture, and it was not really finance. It was in payments mostly, but it was uh, some kind of system design job. So uh, me and other people, were, we were mostly from mathematics and stuff like that. Uh, they, we were like designing uh, flows, uh, changes, uh, very high level system design, basically. And then other people were implementing stuff. And I did, I did like that job. But then after four years of being there, I was starting to be in crisis a bit because, rightly so, they wanted me to specialize. Like they wanted, I mean, they were like, choose a market, choose a programming language, choose. A, and I did. I didn't want a sector. I didn't want to. I wanted to go from payroll to uh, to banking. Uh, from uh, I wanted to see everything uh, from SAP to all the COBOL terminals. And uh, and they wanted me to specialize. So then is when Bitcoin uh, came around, and Bitcoin wanted me to specialise in Bitcoin, which is basically unspecializing yourself.
0: Exactly. So it could not be a better space for you to be in because it it, it ticks all of those boxes. But, you know, to the highest order, right? It, you know, this is the yeah. best tech. This is the best uh, monetary policy. This is the best Austrian economics. This is the best maths. But I can't speak to physics, is it? You know, what, what's the layover with physics? Oh, there, there is
1: a lot of physics there. Mining, okay. for example, the when you when you seriously discuss mining and uh, ASICs resistance and the efficiency of mining energy consumption, there is a great paper by Andrew Polster, I think, back in two thousand fourteen, and that he makes the point that ASICs resistant is is basically impossible, and what you have to achieve actually is to be as closer as possible, as close as possible to. Thermodynamic, maximum thermodynamic efficiency. Uh, And then you have basically the equivalence between uh, energy and computation. uh, And you have a lot of, uh, uh, you have basically, there is a lot of physics, especially in the part in the mining uh, side of Bitcoin. Of course, there is physics also about uh, discussion. I I like to debunk many, uh, many uh, concerns about uh, quantum attacks quantum computing attacks on bitcoin and that's mostly physics and i i am able to be kind of uh, relaxed about that because i know a little bit of my of my quantum physics enough Uh, i'm not a quantum uh, computing expert but i know quantum mechanics enough to read some of the quantum computing paper and to basically understand that most of the quantum scare is basically as far as now total bullshit
0: all right, without without losing too many of the listeners, <laughs> what? How do you debunk that then? Because for 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 someone like me that's never studied uh, physics at anything other than like a secondary school, uh, you know, when 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 I hear people talk about you know our oh, Bitcoin follows the the first law of thermodynamics and stuff, I, I'm just like, yeah, okay, if you say it does, because to me, I don't even know what that means. Um, and then when when you hear like this FUD, the basic FUD, oh, one day we'll have a quantum computer and it can just break open the blockchain and steal everybody's Bitcoin and whatever else. Uh, I'm like, mm, okay, if you say it might, but I, I don't have that, any knowledge at all. I've got nothing in my arsenal to turn around and say to someone, that's not a thing. So h- how do you help people like myself, just the pleb on the street, kind of, Shoot down the, the, the quantum computing attack, FUD.:
1: Well There are two ways, basically. The first way is to try to explain you at least at very high level, at least the basics of, uh, of what quantum computing is and uh, how it could interact with Bitcoin. And I tried to do this. I did it uh, notably, I did it in uh, Bratislava. I was invited by Parel Napoli in Bratislava. And I gave a speech about quantum computing and Bitcoin, and it was a speech that I think was almost accessible to somebody with uh, high school level physics, almost maybe. Uh, but it was two hours and a half a speech. <laughs> probably you can you can find it online, probably in the site of Bratislava Parallel Napoli, or I can send it to you. You can put it in the notes uh, if you guys have two and a half hours and a lot of patience. You can try to watch it. And uh, it may be not maybe 100% uh, accurate in details because I try to oversimplify something, and not maybe 100% accessible. But a good a good balance between between that. But we don't have that that kind of time now. And you asking me not to lose any list or <laughs> not to lose all the <laughs> listeners. So the alternative is try to uh, break that. To basically, it's similar to just say uh, uh, you know out uh, a argument. Just trust me. But I can try to break down the trust pieces in in small pieces that you can actually verify yourself with other uh, statements by other people. So the basic idea is that um, uh, let's first separate quantum scare in two things. One is about mining. So what about quantum computer mining Bitcoin? And the other one is is about breaking the the cryptography that protects the private keys. So these are two separate concerns. The first is pretty easy to debunk. The thing is that uh, if you take all the papers that will explain you uh, how to uh, use quantum computers to mine Bitcoin, to, so basically to find the collision with, uh, with the hash function, the SHA-256 hash function, uh, then basically you have something called Grover algorithm. It doesn't matter that you understand how it works, but if you search everywhere, what Grover algorithm can give you is basically a quadratic advantage. So it's not an exponential advantage. Basically, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, elevating, it's squaring your, uh, uh, your uh, efficiency, in uh, your time efficiency in finding some solution. And the point about mining is that mining is not a game in which you have to have a sound cryptography. It's a game where actually you have to break the cryptography but you have to break the cryptography at a difficulty which is adjusted automatically. So the, the difference in efficiency between the CPU uh, uh, from which Satoshi Nakamoto started uh, with other mining in uh, back in 2009 and the current ASICs uh, that are basically uh, coming out in the market right now is basically more than the, differ- the difference in efficiency that we would have with some kind of uh, um, uh, uh, Grover based quantum computer chatter is parables of course about other things so it's not it's not a big deal we can have a, it could be like a generational leap of new miners but eventually uh, the network will just catch on and the difficulty will just raise up to, to, to adjust for quantum mining so that's really not a problem the other one it could be a problem breaking cryptography but the basic facts that you can check independently to debunk this scare are basically this one. First, you need many thousands of what is called qubit. Uh, qubit is basically the quantum computing equivalent of a bit in order to be able to use the, sh- the so-called Shor algorithm. Shor has nothing to do with Schnorr. That's a completely different thing. Shor is is a way to basically find prime uh, factorized big number that can be used to break, a CDSA, which is the signature scheme that Bitcoins use, but you need thousands of them. And the point is that right now you will see, you will hear around that Google has a computer or, or IBM has a computer with 16, 32, 100 qubits. But that's a trick because what you need in order to use uh, Shor is actually to have thousands of logical qubits. Logical qubits are qubits that you can actually use and then read without errors. Indeed, the the only things that we have now are physical qubits that will actually create a very, very noisy kind of errors and cannot be corrected. So there is a theory, actually a theorem, it's called the threshold threshold theorem, in which if you take uh, thousands of physical qubits, which are the kinds of qubits existing now, and you put them all together with the classical computer, then you may create maybe one uh, logical qubit, and then if you take thousands of logical qubits together, you can actually break. Uh, you can actually break a CDSA. But as of today, nobody in the world created one single logical qubit. So it's theoretically possible. But this is just to give you an example. This is not just like the Moore's law, where you are in the sixties or the seventies and you see big computers and you imagine maybe the computers becoming faster and, and slow and, and smaller this is like being in the in the middle ages and thinking about space travel it's possible i mean uh, if you have if you have galileo's level of science you know that maybe you can actually try to leave the gravity let's let's say that you have you are after middle ages maybe you are newton you know about gravity and you know that it's in principle it's possible to generate uh, such a force that can escape the gravitational attraction, and then maybe you can visit Proxima Centauri. Uh, it will take a lot of time. You don't know how. You don't know what kind of energy to use. What kind of materials? That's the level of the threat right now. It's like somebody in the in, in uh, just after Newton coming in and said, "Well, guys, but uh, what if somebody in France is creating a starship to go uh, to go uh, aligning with?" Uh, Uh, with uh, people on Proxima Centauri to invade England. That's basically the level of scare. It's possible in principle, but we are so far away that it's basically bullshit. That said, quantum computing is not bullshit. With the kind of quantum computers you have now, you can do wonderful things, especially uh, simulating quantum systems, like in protein foldings, in predicting the atomic levels of... uh, of, uh, of atoms uh, b- beyond uh, hydrogen. You can do a lot of crazy cool stuff that may have great implications, but breaking a CDSA, uh, that's something theoretically possible, but I will start to become worried the first day they actually manage to create one uh, logical qubit. When they have that, maybe the idea of having thousands of them in, co- in coherent state may become something that I will start to lose uh, one minute of sleep every night uh, because Bitcoin can be patched, but patching Bitcoin cryptography will not be trivial. It will be possible, of course, but not trivial. And uh, so we will start to have to actually consider that uh, in, in that scenario. But we are so far away from that, that is not even not even really... It's the, 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 there are many threats... Including alien invasion or, uh, or a bioengineered uh, bioasics uh, uh, made of bacteria that are more realistic than, uh, than quantum computer attacks on the CDC.
0: And even if someone did you know, manage to make this breakthrough, who's to say it would be used negatively against Bitcoin anyway? It could be used to, like, positively or not?
1: Oh, uh, so, uh, no, meaning that uh, th- there are a lot of cool things that you can do with quantum physics and quantum computing. One of the things you can do, which is not about sure algorithm and this kind of stuff, but you could use other property of quantum mechanics, like the Noclom theorem, in order to make uh, quantum cryptography. So you could use the quantum property themselves to build a new, very cool cryptography, which is completely unexplored, completely new, and it could have very, very cool characteristics, including some very strange characteristics like the fact that I can have a private key, then that if you watch it, you delete it, and I cannot have it anymore. And so maybe we could, I, I'm just speedballing now, I, I'm just I'm just bullshitting you, but uh, maybe there could be a way to prevent double spending using quantum mechanics instead of a blockchain. Maybe, I don't know, Maybe, maybe this is bullshit, but it could be. So there may be a lot of cool stuff coming in that direction in years and years, but uh, the specific fact that ECDSA was broke by, by short attack will be unequivocally bad. It will be worse for Bitcoin. Many, sometimes people say, uh, yeah, but it would be terrible for everybody. Bitcoin, but also banks, but also nuclear, nuclear uh, nukes, basically. This is not really the case because, uh, first of all, Patching a centralized system like an ATM is easier than patching a decentralized system in, in, uh, in time, avoiding front running. And second of all, uh, most of the centralized application in, in finance and military they use a symmetric cryptography, which is not as affected as asymmetric cryptography. So it will be uh, something like that will be especially bad for Bitcoin. But again, uh, lower probability that than, uh, than alien invasion. With, uh, with an alien shitcoin taking over because the network effect of that shitcoin are, are greater on, on another solar system.
0: <laughs> All right. I, I was not expecting to go down the, the quantum physics rabbit hole, but I'm glad we, uh, we did. That's my first journey that way. So uh, thank you for showing. <laughs> thank you for lighting the tunnel. Uh, you, where are you at the moment? Are you, are you in Italy or um, elsewhere? Switzerland.
1: Very close to the Italian border but Switzerland. I will probably get to Italy this week. The, the situation at the border is not super trivial but I try to I tend to go back and forth to Italy often for uh, origin, origin family yeah. but uh, I, I'm based and I, my clients are in Switzerland and my home is in Switzerland.
0: Cool. Uh, the reason I ask is the first time you and I uh, connected was way back last year just as the, the COVID thing was really hitting and you guys at one of the first countries, pretty much in Europe, to be locked down. Uh, so yeah. I wanted to know uh, how how things are going now, and um, what's the lay of the land, and um, what kind of truths or untruths have you managed to you know pick apart. Because obviously, I know you've been uh, following this very very closely.
1: Uh, this is a giant topic, but but mostly uh, the the truth that I that I uncover is that people. Are completely irrational, moderate thought, and uh, and superstition is rampant across not just uh, uh, like uh, I don't know uh, I don't know priests or or magicians or strong astrologer, mm-hmm. but actually also amongst uh, politicians and and uh, decision makers and and sometimes even uh, pr- pr- medicine practitioners. So basically, the the, the point is. Well, I don't. I didn't even know where to start. But the basic point is, uh, there is a fake dilemma between uh, so-called denialists saying that nothing has happened uh, of strange uh, of sort in two thousand twenty, and uh, and this kind of new religion where actually uh, something un- completely unprecedented happened that justifies to basically get get rid of any kind of rule of law, any kind of constitutional constitutional protection, any kind of individual freedom protection, any kind of rational response, any kind of different priority. The only priority is COVID-19 syndrome. The only priority is the SARS-CoV-2 virus and everything else disappears. And this is absolutely crazy, especially like you can see uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, I had a very strong opinion even before the facts, because my strong opinion, which is uh, from first principles, so it's before the facts, is that central planning doesn't work, and if you try to manage a complex system, uh, putting a politician or a bureaucrat, which usually uh, have have very very bad incentives, they have no skin in the game, no responsibility, no accountability, no information from the market, and you and often they are also selected by perverse mechanism of selection. If you, think, if you take those kind of people and you t- make them in charge of, uh, uh, of uh, micromanaged cho- choices in huge complex system, you will achieve disaster. It's not that this policy is wrong in particular. It's that every single policy they will choose will be by definition be wrong against some alternative unknown policy, that will be discovered by some kind of more decentralized process, by some kind of competition process, by distributed information, and by kind of emergent equilibrium. So when you take an all-powerful bureaucrat or politician in charge of giant complex systems, you know you are going to destroy things up. That's true for central banking, for Soviet planned economy, for China, a great leap forward in, uh, in agriculture, for, for, for starvation in Ukraine and for COVID-19 response. So I, I already was very, very strong opinion about that. But also after the fact, you can actually see by your, everybody honestly can see that if you take the number of people dead per capita in Italy, where they had the first, one of the stricter kind of uh, unconstitutional lockdowns, basically home incarceration for healthy people, directly mutuated from the Chinese Communist Party and you compare it with Sweden where they did basically nothing. Uh, at the beginning they were they were even uh, actively discouraging masks in public and now they are encouraging masks without any kind of mandatory approach. and you take uh, and you take the uh, the number of people dead for, uh, over the population and you compare it with Italy, you see that Italy is failing. you see that empirically. Of course you can say, correlation is not causation and maybe there are other factors that are making Italy worse sure so now let's compare Sweden with Sweden so let's compare the number of people dead in Sweden now with the other historical data and you will see that sure they had some peak because that there was a new kind the new strain of coronavirus that has some kind of uh, complication and mortality which is which is very bad because it's five times the the flu which is a lot especially for old people so some people more died which is not more than what happened, for example, in uh, uh, at least other five times in the last decade in Sweden. So the, the number of, of dead people for uh, for, for for pro capita is less than other five occurrences. So I mean, uh, the point is not that uh, one should not be concerned, one should not be prudent, one should not one should not be uh, uh, actively uh, protecting himself or especially the fragile people like old ones. The point is that uh, the capacity of uh, watching rationally and, uh, and uh, agnostically some kind of objective data was completely wiped out by this kind of religious approach, which is very similar to the religious approach that we have about, uh, you know, the religious approach about terrorism after 2001, after 9-11, war on terror. So it's not that terrorists don't exist, but uh, there is nothing in the Patriot Act and NSA watching my phone that will actually help me fighting terrorism. This was just an excuse. Uh, something true existing, like terrorism, was used becoming uh, the, the only... T- so for a while, after 9-11, Islamic terrorists were the only possible threat, the only topic, the only concern, the only priority, and everything else has to be sacrificed. Then you uh, you get body scanners, and Petrotech and NSA in your, in your mailbox. And then the scare of Islamic terrorists goes away because, sure, there are still Islamic terrorists and there are non-Islamic terrorists and there is a lot of, of, of bad shit going on. But we just accept that as one of the many things in our complex reality, one of the risks. If you, go, uh, if you, go, if you travel to, uh, to Iraq right now and you work in, maybe you have to consider that risk for you. And maybe uh, some explosion will set, set off again in London or New York or whatever. But this is one of the many, many risks. While the damage made by that kind of fixation, the, that kind of obsession, is uh, petrotect and, uh, and preemptive search and, uh, uh, and body scanners everywhere and, and stuff like that. The same thing is going on with, uh, with lockdowns and, and what I call uh, coronazism. I mean, we, we, we went, it was very, one of the things that was most fascinating to watch was the double, uh, the double uh, uh, standard of people at the same time. I remember like um, Frau Merkel in Germany uh, criticizing Belarus because, I mean, Belarus is bad. Police in Belarus were actually beating up protesters. And then in this very same day, police in Germany was beating, beating up protesters. And you can see, and there are people, in, like in, in Australia, uh, there are there have been cases of uh, women uh, arrested in front and handcuffed in front of their children because they posted on Facebook something against the lockdown. And then in Canada, you had police entering Christmas dinners to ar- handcuff and arrest people, uh, dragging them out of their home in, in Quebec. So this is... Uh, This is beyond any. This is unprecedented, and I think it's actually close to the uh, racist, uh, racist obsession, for example, that was uh, that was uh, happening during the advent of uh, fascism in Europe. This is, I mean, it's it's a very strong comparison. I realize it, but there are a lot of similarities. For example, uh, the official academia, uh, the academic world, was uh, in was uh, there was absolute consensus in favor of scientific racism in the in the 30s in italy or in germany and somewhere even in the us so uh, the scientific method is great but scientific consensus is a social dynamic it can be used as a proxy for a web of trust i mean if i don't know anything i can trust experts because i don't have any other choice but it's very dangerous to replace trust in social networks like the scientific academia instead of logics and and personal ethics and personal integrity a few examples are for example the fact that uh, the, the, the the scientific consensus in medi- in medicine in medical science was uh, strongly in favor of uh, uh, lobotomy uh, with uh, with ice peaks uh, for uh, for more than 20 years and thousands of people and um, been lobotomized with uh, with doctors being with scientists being uh, co- almost consensually in favor same went with electroshock uh, electroshock same went with uh, leeches to to cure your your disease or or blood baths i mean blood baths after scientific method was already initiated basically was rampant for 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 many many years and people were mocking the first guy that said that uh, nurses should uh, wash their hands after touching uh, dead bodies and before uh, delivering babies, and some guy basically thought that maybe it was a good idea to wash hands. and it was ridiculed for more than 10 years by all the scientific consensus. That doesn't mean that that a a, a, rando, uh, a, a random anonymous guy on 4chan is more trustworthy than your doctor. He probably isn't. That, that just means that even your doctor is not trustworthy, by itself in some specific cases and you should be skeptical and you should be adversarial even when you talk with specialists it doesn't mean that non-specialists are better the, the level of bullshit you will find on the internet is even more than the level of bullshit you will find in academia but you will find bullshit in academia and when you have, when you have expertise versus logic uh, you should use logic first and, and then expertise as a proxy if you can So, uh, yeah, it was a very long rant, but uh, it was a very impressive thing.
0: No, but, you know, I've listened to you talk about it before and you always bring up so many great points and you've clearly studied it very, very closely and watched it play out. And, you know, what you're talking about there kind of like leads me into the next question about uh, this consensus in air quotes around um, these vaccines that uh, are being pushed in by different companies into different countries. And some are getting accepted, some aren't, it's just, it's a huge, great, big mess. And to use logic, you look at it logically and like, this is nowhere near making any sense. And I can't, but I can't figure out why people aren't using logic.
1: Well, because, because when people are scared, they, they just become superstitious, and that's happened many, many times. Uh, the only thing that is worst when you have scientific-sounding superstition is that when you have honest superstition, people get irrational, but there is a them versus science. When you have scientific-sounding, pseudo-scientific-sounding superstition, they get superstition, and they even think that they are defending rationality and they are defending scientific method, which is even more paradoxical because now you can have a, you can have a guy saying something rational, and he will actually call this some kind of science denier or something like that, which is pre- pretty mess, messed up. About the vaccine, I mean, look, the the idea of using uh, uh, like uh, uh, messenger RNA to 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 make the cell producing the spike protein, it's great from the transhumanist point of view as a as a nerd uh, this is this is a great stuff I mean go for it maybe we will manage to modify uh, people growing wings or whatever in 20 years if you're talking about science fiction experiments having fun and maybe even screwing up and and, and mad scientists killing themselves in the approach it's that's great and that's funny but you cannot say so if you think for example this is not this, is, this, does, this doesn't require any kind of specific expertise, just logic and a base understanding. Uh, so if you say that it's impossible to um, develop natural immunity with your antibodies to this kind of virus, and you say that you are finding a vaccine that would use your cells to produce antibodies to this kind of virus, at the same time, there is something wrong there. It's, uh, this could also happen at the other side. Like I, I met people uh, against the lockdown, like me, and they were saying the vaccine cannot work because it's impossible to immunize toward any strength, but the herd immunity will work, which is also probably, I mean, it's more realistic than the other way around, but it's also contradictory. Uh, if, if vaccine works, then immunity works. Of course, there may be a reason why you want, why you will prefer vaccine over natural immunization. For example, natural immunization is random, so it could hit first people who are more fragile. While vaccination can be more selective uh, with uh, healthcare operators and old people, so you can be more selective. So there is a reason. There is a rational argument for a vaccination campaign. But you cannot say, like most mainstream uh, media are saying. The vaccine is perfect and will just save everybody because immunization is great and it will also cover new strengths. But natural immunization cannot work, so we need to lock down everybody and we need to control the economy and we need to bail out everything and we need to destroy the the economy because uh, you just cannot become immune as a population by yourself. This is just contradictory. A second example, when somebody who is uh, 90 years old with a stage four cancer uh, is positive with a COVID swab, uh, is uh, de- basically he died for COVID-19. Uh, and of course, in that case, correlation is causation. And if you if you question that, you are a science denialist because, I mean, come on, sure, there was some comorbidity, but you are just denying that there is an evident connection between them. But then every time you have some guy dying for a vaccine, which sadly it happens, even Even with traditional vaccine, you can have some kind of uh, very bad immune reaction. You can have, you can have, I mean, shit happens, uh, including in vaccine. Maybe you can say this vaccine has this mortality rate, but this mortality rate is better than the mortality rate of uh, uh, the, the natural disease for these reasons. And then you can rationally take a choice. But the narrative is now basically the vaccine is safe And every kind of death that occurs taking the vaccine must be a coincidence, and correlation is not causation. But the virus is deadly, and every kind of death which is connected somehow to the virus must be considered uh, causally connected to the virus. This is just contradictory. that doesn't make any sense. And There are plenty of this kind of stuff. Uh, Or, or, or for example, precaution principle. Uh, Look, guys, it seems like the probability of killing your grandma I mean, if you if you calculate probability, if you walk by the street without your mask, the probability that you get uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus and that you get infected and that you go home and you infect your grandma and that she dies with this kind of mortality rate, uh, rate is not zero, but it's this low. And if you put two masks on, it doesn't change very, very much. And this is just a, a rational argument, right? And then basically you say, Uh, okay, you you make this kind of probability calculation and they will answer, oh, you're right, but, you know, precautious principle. So even if it just saves one life, we have to do everything because even if it just changes one life, we have to do it. With vaccine, it's the other way around. So uh, you can say, you know, uh, mRNA vaccine are cool, but maybe a new kind of vaccine never experimented before with unknown immune reaction models. Maybe we should not politically rush science in six months and we should just... Uh, uh, I mean, if somebody wants to be reckless and try it, go forward. But maybe force people to vaccinate with something experimental and new is, is unsafe. And now, every kind of uh, uh, precautionary principle magically disappear. Like, uh, all the... I mean, what if you kill the grandma in this very, very low, odd situation? That's a concern. What if you die for immune reaction because something is, I mean, scientists working, these are, are surely they are great. They are, there is no reptilian conspiracy to kill people with vaccine. It's just a new, very, very new kind of vaccine that was developed under very, very high pressure, under very, very high mediatic scrutiny. So I will not trust the incentives to make things very, very, very well without cutting any corner. Because let's let's be honest, the political pressure on this kind of thing was unprecedented in the history of medical science. So, just, I mean, you don't have to be a virologist to use uh, the same logical standards to different uh, to different uh, statements by by the same people. You just have to be to try to be logically consistent.
0: Well, I mean, logic and common sense seems to be scarcer than Bitcoin. Yeah, (laughs) right now, uh, so we should come back to Bitcoin at some stage, I suppose, Giacomo. uh, (laughs) How how long do you have? Because uh, I don't want to I know you've got a meeting or something to go to.
1: I would say another 20 minutes.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, Right. Let's get back to Bitcoin. And uh, we're still hovering around 43,400 right now after the news of of Tesla. this is going to become a very busy time for you because this is your job, right? Consulting for, like you said, uh, small private uh, banking um, companies. What are you? I mean, obviously, I know you can't talk that uh, openly about it, but you know, just give us an over a brief overview of the mood of the people that you're you're currently speaking with, and whether that's picked up. Because at the time of recording, we're a week after the microstrategy. Uh, corporate day conference type thing where I think uh, Sailor said there was like eight thousand registered or something, and uh, we we had that we that, that opening speech, that opening interview, excuse me, between himself and Ross Stevens was, you know, pretty incredible. Uh, probably the best pitch interview for Bitcoin that anyone could have expected for for corporations or people like that to to see a, and uh, listen to. So yeah, what, what, what's going on in, in your world?
1: Well, the, the mood is increasingly optimistic, of course. Uh, even if uh, I, as I told you before, I, I, I like to be, this is not a very smart business move, but I like to be contrarian. Uh, I, I like to give my added value as basically being always a little bit contrarian to the prevalent narrative, I, I, even in business. So uh, as I told you, when banks, when my clients were skeptical, I was pushing. Uh, try it I mean let's let's faces, uh, fa- face Face the, the, the scenario in which Bitcoin works uh, let's be uh, open about that when banks were actually all going shitcoiners with ICOs in 2017 I was conservative guys it doesn't make sense this is a bubble this will this, this explode right now uh, the, uh, for a while I was pushing the narrative of financial meaning of Bitcoin adoption for banks uh, as opposed to technological meaning uh, like they, they were fixated on blockchain technology. And I was trying to say, uh, guys, I'm here to help you doing all uh, the uh, cold storage or, uh, or running a node. But this is not the, the point. The technology is not the point. The point is that this asset class is uh, uncorrelated with other asset classes. And, it, and there is a scarcity mechanism. And there may be a, 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 basically a, a gold rush if if, uh, if companies start to uh, to use it as uh, as inflation hedge and as uh, as part of uh, of their portfolio uh, your the risk of your portfolio will get better if you include an uncorrelated asset whether it goes down or up so this was my kind of pushing to my clients now I've, I see that my pushing is they, they already know that as, well not all but most of my clients know that already and they have to actually push forward to something like, uh, yeah, but how do you buy your Bitcoin? Uh, how do you know that you are not violating GDPR, the privacy of your investor, if you are not coin joining? So you should coin join in order not to violate the regulation. And they will say, yeah, but we have to not coin join in order to respect KYC AML. And so there will be some kind of new, uh, you know, there will be a, a new kind of uh, uh, tension and a new kind of uh, um, argument going on. So the fact that I'm, that I'm, I'm not recently uh, uh, making much effort to convince clients that uh, uh, portfolio allocator, allocation in Bitcoin for a small percentage is absolutely... Co- it, it's, the, it's the conservative thing to do and not having Bitcoin is the very risky and reckless and yeah. super aggressive uh, economic uh, uh, gambler, gamble. Uh, it means probably that the The knowledge of this kind of stuff is pretty much more widespread. Of course, uh, Switzerland. I, I mostly operate in Switzerland. I have very few clients elsewhere. And Switzerland is a strange ecosystem because it's uh, uh, there is a lot of finance, especially in Zurich, but it's kind of you know slow, conservative, and uh, it's not really on one side. Especially after the uh, the destruction on the, the typical uh, the the Swiss model back during the white listing process so we destroyed the uh, the bank secrecy uh, well you have to consider that switzerland in a way was the latest ca- comer to uh, fiat money they were the last country in the world to abandon the, the gold standard the last one and they were the last country except for dubai and a few other outliers to uh, basically cancel to to adopt the total financial surveillance model I- imposed by the U.S., so adopting FATCA and and destroying uh, secrecy for foreign citizens and stuff like that. So for them, getting back to hard money is not getting back one century. It's getting back half a century. And getting back to private, dark uh, money without any kind of surveillance, so, so to, financial, to financial privacy, is not going back to uh, 30 years like or let's say 40 years like in the US, is going back less than 20 years probably. So they are closer to the uh, the, the, Swiss, the original Swiss model is closer to the Bitcoin model than the US model, I think. So in a way, even if their uh, institutions in the US are probably more agile, more proactive, more uh, uh, they are faster in innovating, they have more money, they spend more. Institutions in Switzerland, they tend to be Conservative, cheap—well, uh, not cheap in other expenses, but cheap for innovation—and uh, and very, very, uh, let's say, risk adverse. But they also, I think, they may understand Bitcoin better than other counterparties.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. And uh, we visited in August, and I was—you uh, know—that it's it's a country that just works as well, right? And um, you can. You can see, so, so like the way like it is still kind of decentralized. I know the cantons don't have as much power as they used to. A bit of that has been stripped away, but that was the point you were making, I think, about like their their political structure is still uh, decentralized, and they they can completely control like uh, their tax their tax laws and uh, attract people from different cantons and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, traditionally it's not complete, but traditionally it was like the town council was fixing uh, the 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 most of the tax uh, burden of the of the citizen or the enterprise. Then the canton will take a smaller part, and then the confederation will just take a residual part that will be basically the, the almost irrelevant for some kind of uh, uh, foreign policy stuff. Now, in the last twenty years, that went. Uh, that, that went mm-hmm. worse, pretty much. Now the Canton part is higher than the, the town part, which is still better than centralized systems like Italy or France, but is 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 a, is a worsening very very fast. And I have to say that I'm a little bit disappointed because the the probably the faster uh, kind of degener of uh, of basically collapse of this model, what basically for again for the uh, coronavirus uh, COVID nineteen response. Uh, in December, there was the first kind of, uh, uh, there was the first kind of uh, uh, nationwide prevention measures that were uh, directly imposed uh, top-down from Bern without the single cantons and the single cities implementing them bottom-up. So the typical Swiss model was uh, bottom-up even during wartime, even during World War II, even during terrible crises. The idea was that uh, c- cities are doing stuff, cantons can coordinate and, and take over some kind of, uh, uh, of scale, uh, scale economy problems and, and coordinate something and then the confederation will basically just grant the system as a whole and they will not mic- micromanage anything and uh, with, the, with the COVID-19 response in this winter not in, in spring, in spring while everybody else in Europe was basically going crazy Switzerland managed to remain stable, kind of stable. There were like a few, uh, a few reactions, but uh, in in this autumn and especially in this winter, uh, that uh, sadly uh, fell, and uh, and there was a global, uh, um, uh, uh, basically a global imposition of centralized measures, uh, irrespective of the reality and the preferences and the uh, and the priorities of specific cantos. Uh, I don't know if this process, uh, this process is reversible at least until some kind of collapse or something like that. Sometime <laughs> of, well,
0: know, we all know, uh-oh. right? That there's nothing more, there's nothing more permanent than a, 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 a temporary governmental measure. Um, yeah, exactly. Am I right? a bit worried. Am I right in yeah, thinking uh, the Swiss National Bank I- is that a hedge fund? Sorry the swiss national bank is that a hedge fund am i right in thinking that that they, uh, they act as a hedge fund
1: well they, they, for sure they're not acting like the the european central bank or the fed they are right. very pragmatic they are kind of conservative uh, they didn't do any kind of they didn't do anything similar to the ltro uh, or the quantitative easing so so far uh, they they act more like you say more like some kind of investment bank in a way. Mm. They, they they have to, I mean they print monetary base, of course. And they did try to keep a peg with the Euro for a while, mm-hmm. but they just broke the peg with the Euro a few a few years ago. And now they are free free floating. And the the monetary policy so far has been kind of conservative compared to the craziness of, of our European Central Bank and especially the Fed. So but they can hold it's stocks and
0: shares and things, right? They, they, I think they're like uh, well, the like you know, yeah, biggest yeah. holders of Apple or something. Which makes me, you know, you when know, Bitcoin, Giacomo, in, in the SNB, that's That's the big question. Is this going to be uh, the first country?
1: I, I don't know if it will happen. I was more optimistic about this uh, if you, uh, because this is game theory, right? Mm. From, for a government and a central bank, it's never convenient to help a Bitcoin. Uh, because basically Bitcoin will just take away, it will just uh, tie your hands about uh, monetary policy. Maybe you are not going to use monetary policy right now, but you can use it in the future in a crisis. And Bitcoin, uh, any kind of of strong reserve asset will basically tie your hands. Bitcoin especially, because in a gold standard, you can still devalue the the gold ratio. In Bitcoin, you can, with the Bitcoin standard, you can do the same, but it will not be as effective because withdrawing, uh, Bitcoin is so much easier than withdrawing gold that that pe- that the market will basically run away if you start to uh, to do a ba- to to debase the conversion rate with fear. So m- my idea is that in general, adopting Bitcoin or in, or helping Bitcoin or legitimizing Bitcoin goes against your chances to do strong monetary uh, and and aggressive monetary policies. And also, it 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 goes against doing. Uh, uh, strong uh, 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 ban or control on capital flight and financial censorship and KYCML and all that kind of stuff. So it increases privacy a lot and it decreases control. So if you are a commercial bank, especially in Switzerland, I think that is very very uh, it, that is very very attractive because it's it just going back to a model that again that that your grandfather knew very very well. It was the typical Swiss model, hard money. Uh, financial privacy. If you are the central bank, it's kind of like your your uh, statutory goal is to basically uh, control the economy somehow. You are basically a political entity, not really a market entity. So uh, even if the the Swiss central bank is something which is closer to a market entity than the Fed, is still a political organ. Uh, what could change this is a is a multi government game theory in which maybe. I'd, so let, let's let's think for example that you are Lukashenko in Belarus again, or you are some kind of, or you are Maduro in Venezuela. You don't want your citizens to use Bitcoin because, game theoretically, that will be a weapon against your inflation uh, policies and against your capital flight control and against your uh, market price control inside and whatever. But if you use Bitcoin. That will be a weapon against international sanction by the U.S., etc. So, especially if you are, and also if uh, there is a regime change and you have to escape, uh, bank accounts will block Maduro and Lukashenko everywhere. But they will actually be able to personally escape with their uh, with their stolen loot uh, in Bitcoin. So, for a dictator, Bitcoin is bad because it's giving freedom to your citizens, but it's also good because it's giving you. More freedom to be a di- dictator against uh, international police like like the USA. Uh, so it's a complex. Uh, it's a complex game theory. I'm not sure that that I think that some rogue state central banks may actually think about Bitcoin very soon. While uh, state like Switzerland that were a little bit different and contrarian, but lost the battle and have been completely assimilated by the US rules they may not be super eager to do something as controversial as having reserve, a Bitcoin reserve. I hope to be wrong uh, because that would be good for Swiss people especially, but I I would be very surprised if Switzerland adopted Bitcoin reserve in, in I mean before everybody else does uh, as a, as a as a first mover. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: Well, it's Someone's going to go first, right? It's going to be very interesting to uh, to see. Uh, last one, mate. Last one. Uh, I know you do this professionally and to much, you know, bigger corporations, but a lot of plebs listening, and their their, their balances are, are going to be going up quite nicely. What what's your message to those people that um, you know? Ha- how can they set them up? If it just the first basic and perhaps the, the next step, how can they set themselves up with a good cold storage? And um, what, what what would you recommend to just the person on the street that might be new or perhaps a year in?
1: It's very very difficult to that to do that even professionally because you really have to assess your needs and priorities first, which are so. First, I think I think the first passage is to understand trade offs. If you do understand trade offs, no matter where you put yourself inside the trade off, but at least you know. Where are you weak and where are you strong strongest, so you can try to uh, to defend yourself and to predict things and to and to move in advance. So basically, the trade-offs you have are many. Because, like for example, on one side there is the risk of losing your private keys, which is a, a risk that I mean, many many people have lost their private keys. It's a real risk. Some of them just for tax reasons in voting accident, but some of them for real, which is which which sucks. So losing private keys is very very. Uh, Common and, and and it's a very high risk. And having people store st- stealing your private keys is also another risk. And these two are actually in trade-off because if you hide your private keys too well in a super strong uh, five of five uh, uh, things with different location, and uh, sure you uh, which are in uh, the the private keys are the the, the seed are themselves encrypted. Sure, nobody will steal it but uh, maybe you will lose it. Maybe it will just one of five and you will lose everything. And uh, maybe you will uh, basically, you will not lose it yourself, but you will disappear or, uh, or pass, a, pass, a, pass away. And then your hairs will not have any kind of mean to access because you were too good in hiding your stuff. On the other hand, if you just put your, your mnemonic on, uh, on the cloud, on, uh, on an email, in Gmail, with uh, Google employees reading it, and Google employees creating bots in order to find mnemonics inside your email. So you will probably find it and your hair and your spouse or children will probably find it if you pass away, but maybe even Google employees will. So the first trade-off is, uh, are you more scared? So what is your threat model? Are you a guy that is so accurate and precise and organized that you, and organized with your hairs that you will never lose it? but you also are very, very targeted by powerful adversaries. And so you have to be more careful about hiding or you have to be more careful about uh, backing up and 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 making it redundant. So this is the first. The second one is, again, is your thread model your neighbor or is your thread model the NSA? Because if your thread model is your neighbor, then, for example, a Ledger Nano S is way better than a computer with Electrum because a, a laptop with Electrum uh, because a laptop with Electrum is a, a, when you have physical access it's super easy to bug to, to, to open uh, with some kind of equipment you can read the memory basically and so you can actually extract the private key to some degree you can do that with the tracer as well as many people have showed. Uh, so this is be- if if your trend model is your neighbor your neighbor taking over your laptop can actually take your stuff uh, your neighbor taking over your Nano S by Ledger with a, secu- a bank-grade secure element, there is no way they will be able to access that, that, that private key. It's basically impossible. But you, what if your trade model is more like the NSA? So the, for the NSA to, to force Ledger and especially uh, S, uh, ST Microelectronics to backdoor the chips, will be super easy because they are closed closed source, impossible to review, impossible to check. So you will just run whatever ledger tells you to run and they will just buy whatever Estimate Electronics will sell them. And they, there is a lot of places in which some kind of powerful adversary could just screw up everybody in the Bitcoin economy uh, with a ledger. And not just a ledger, of course, I'm just using that as an extreme example. While uh, while um, backdooring your uh, old used laptop that you bought in cash and use with tails uh, downloaded from, uh, from some kind of other uh, random internet cafe on a, on a random commodity uh, USB thumb. I mean, that's, uh, uh, it's n- nothing is impossible. Uh, if you are Snowden, maybe you have to be paranoid even about that. But if you are not Snowden, the possibility that NSA will use generic generalist backdoors to attack your uh, offline computer are very, very, very low. So you have to, to stay somewhere in between. There, I think there are good, uh, for example, talking. I was talking about hardware, there are good uh, compromises like uh, I like cold car, for example. I think it's a, uh, I don't, I will never use only a cold car for huge amounts, but it's a very nice trade-off between being open enough and also close enough that it can probably face either the NSA to a certain degree and the evil neighbor or or or, or made uh, to a certain degree but you have to understand where you are and and also another trade-off for example is do you want to make something complex but very very optimal or complexity will just screw you up and so you have to make something simple even if you know it's not optimal so maybe the optimal thing for the reason i said before is to have a two of three with one ledger and one laptop and one call card so you have to compromise a lot of trade model in order to to, to 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 boost two keys. But is this complexity okay for you or you will just be confused by that for your level of preparation and you will just end up doing something bad and losing two keys plus the backups or sharing the backups or asking for help to a guy which is not really your friend deep inside or something like that. So you have to choose. Maybe it's better if you just buy uh, maybe a mobile a mobile phone wallet is not the best choice. Actually, it's a bad choice for if you have a lot of money. But at least with that choice, you can be consistent and aware and you know where you stand in the trade-off. While if you try to create a super complex multi-sig setup, uh, that's optimal, but you will screw up. So my point is it depends. It depends of, It depends basically on... Uh, how likely are how how much organized are you? What what are you scared uh, from most of the government or the or the neighbor? Uh, uh, also, what how how much money do you have? And how hot or cold is your storage? So, is it very very cold storage like something that you will access once every ten years, or is it something that you want to use tomorrow to open a lightning channel? In that case. Uh, let's not go so cold, let's say more like warm. So it's a lot of trade-offs. I, I don't have, a, I, I, w- I was thinking about c- creating a public course for retail people. So not the consultancy like I do, but more like a course. But, and I would probably do uh, and check my website to see if, if, I, if I, it's GiacomoZucco.com. I, if I will start a new course about that, I will launch it. But uh, it's so difficult to find a way that can actually um, uh, be optimal for different people with different amounts and different backgrounds and different priority It's very, very hard. It's not impossible, but it's hard to make a one-fit-all one, one fit all kind of suggestion.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, mate. Uh, before you head off, if you had one orange pill left to give to someone, who would you give it to and why?
1: Huh. huh. This is very interesting because at this point, uh, at this point, it, it would be, of course, very tempting to try to target a politician. Usually I'm against interacting with politicians. I don't like lobbying. I think it's a waste of time. But if I really have an orange pill that can work, maybe it would be very fun to see what happens if you orange pill Biden or if you orange pill somebody as powerful. Or more realistically, you could orange pill some more adversarial uh, guy like Putin himself. So that would be interesting. If uh, If I didn't know for sure that uh, the guy occupying uh, the Vatican Sea right now is a communist, I would probably try to orange peel the Pope, the the, 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 the Vatican Pope, because it would be so cool to see a network of uh, churches everywhere. In the, I mean, the, the, the so-called uh, current Catholic Church uh, using Bitcoin at scale would be even more fun than a nation state using Bitcoin. Uh, and it was not imp- even impossible to do that before Bergoglio. There were some some popes were actually kind of pro-market with the ER. They were actually doing some aggressive finance stuff uh, with, the, with the Vatican Bank. Even shady in a way but also very very creative in another way. And they may have been sensitive but I'm afraid that basically the last uh, the, the, the recent uh, uh, purges by Bergoglio just uh, uh, deleted and cancelled any kind of Bitcoin sensitive Cardinal down there, maybe I'm wrong, I
0: don't know <laughs> great answer. well, a, a popular answer in the past has been Elon Musk so someone's peeled him, most likely sailor so uh, thank you, Mike yeah, for doing yeah. that so um, <laughs> and um, I, I can't let you go without without you know mentioning like the 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 memes on Bitcoin Twitter where you appear as Britney Spears or um, whoever else um, and I, I think you probably. You know, I, I don't know, does Gigi, does he send you love letters like every time he sees uh, he one? Sees- <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I have to hide them because of my wife, but it does, it does. <laughs> uh, it, it's incredible, I don't even know, but so many, so on, on one side it just became a tradition, so now every time uh, and answer will, uh, will create some funny face whopper and uh, deep fake, and he will just share, and, and that would be fun. But many people told me that they try to do that with other kinds of faces, and it's just not as fun. It's not as the same, you know I mean. man. It's, it's your it's face. It's,
0: it's just amazing.
1: So I, I have the <laughs> face made for the fake. So I have just accept this role, and I will just and I just retweet it. There have been some people asking me to. Uh, they told me, okay, uh, if you don't want to stop retweeting your deep fakes, I'm still following you, but at least stop with the ones where you have a female body because that's disturbing. Uh, disturbing or if you if you really cannot stop sharing your deep fakes with a female body at least only share those with mustaches because the one without mustaches you are so beautiful that that's really (laughs) disturbing to me so so I ask to enhance please if you give me a great body at least keep the mustaches and the beard so people will still not be too much confused from a sentimental and sexual point of view
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to come to the 100K party dressed as Brittany, all cosplayed up? It be- <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, well, well were, I, I don't know. But uh, what, I, what I know for certain is that uh, that would be great for um, uh, plausible deniability and, uh, and hiding myself if I start uh, uh, doing it. Uh, it would be a great obsec to come as a woman <laughs> to, a, to a next conference Excellent.
0: Giacomo, this has been uh, a lot of fun, man. We got we covered so much ground. Uh, some unexpected shit with the uh, the quantum physics there. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, is there any shills you need to give out? I know you sit on the board of of relay. Should uh, should we mention that? Um, and yeah, anything sure. else you're working on? Uh,
1: well, I'm working on many st- uh, of much stuff. I'm tr- uh, I support some kind of open, uh, open source uh, projects uh, that I try to pull together some money for. Uh, including, uh, for example, uh, BDK that now is supported by phoenix and CryptoSquare, uh, former Magical Bitcoin wallet, and uh, I did that. I did the same many years ago with open 10 stamps and with the first uh, Bolt uh, meeting, and I, I do that with uh, RGB and uh, Storm and other kind of uh, protocols. So I do try to support open source stuff as, as far as companies go. I did decide to invest in Relay. It's cool because especially it's, I, I'm looking for this holy grail of some kind of narrative that can bring together both the number go up, uh, dollar cost average meme, which I think is fundamental. Uh, price is important. We can joke about that, but price is important. And on the other side, privacy and KYC avoiding. So far, when you, when you, you have very distinct groups of Bitcoiners, you have some Bitcoiners that are all about uh, privacy and no KYC and mixing. And I love that. And this is the, the right way to go. But they actually got, sometimes they get dismissive of stuff like uh, number go up and the price. But this is, I mean, we can joke with memes, but this is a very important part of Bitcoin. The price discovery and the scarcity mechanism and stock to flow mechanism. And suggesting people to, to do dollar cost averaging or balanced portfolio is important compared to uh, to, uh, to to trading and so they ca- they tend to dismiss the financial side of Bitcoin and then not like that and sometimes that brings them to be shitcoiners, coiners maybe discussing Monero uh, or, or other stuff as alternative. On the other side, you have Bitcoiners which are very sensitive to number go up and sailor is an example, and they can become dismissive to the privacy side of Bitcoin, which I also think is a huge mistake uh, because uh, because if the government is strong enough to Uh, censor your transaction and to spy your transaction and to impose you KYC, then it will be strong enough to impose you uh, inflation in the protocol level because they know who you are running Bitcoin node and it will just arrest you if you don't run the right Bitcoin node. So if you normalize uh, government people coming down and knowing Bitcoiners by name and imposing them shit, otherwise they will get fined or arrested, then it's super easy to also normalize uh, a new inflation Version of Bitcoin Core that you have to download; otherwise, you are illegal. Uh, it, where does it stop? Where you give the government KYC ML, then you cannot have no number go up without that. N- not a, at least not in a stable, uh, sustainable level. So I think both sides of the coin are equally important: uh, privacy, cypherpunk ideals, and Austrian uh, hard money ideals. They go together. And, uh, and this seems like something completely this, is some very, this seems like an abstract talk, but Rely, for example, is the first uh, attempt I find by somebody to try to have uh, dollar-cost dollar averaging automatic uh, financially-centered application for users and also not a perfect solution, but a str- at least a strong effort on uh, avoiding KYC and keeping privacy high for the user himself. So that's why I I became an investor.
0: Cool, man. Thank you very much. And if anybody's interested, they can hear that interview I did with Julian Leninger, the uh, the CEO of, of Relay back in uh, oh, a few months ago. So.
1: Great guy. Sure.
0: Giacomo, I'll let you go, man. I've kept you too long. It's been great. Thank I you so much.
1: Thank you. Bye. Take care. Take care.
0: Hey guys, thank you for listening and thank you again to Diacomo for taking the time to come on the show and go through absolutely everything that we just went through. You can, you can tell this guy's mind is just pretty incredible. He has a deep knowledge about so many different things and still very, very uh, intelligently curious and looking for truths, looking for answers. And we'll do the research, we'll we'll crunch the numbers, we'll do the data. uh, And these are the kind of people that are in the Bitcoin space. This is what keeps me so intrigued with the the characters that I keep meeting and the people that agree to come on the show and and talk openly about all of this. It's just, it's completely mind blowing and and, and fascinating. So I hope uh, everybody got uh, something out of that episode. Even the little laugh at the end, talking about him going uh, dressed up as Britney. So uh, that, was, that was a nice surprise. And Gigi, can you leave him alone? Seriously, you know, he's a married man. Uh, and so are you. So before, uh, before we sign off, uh, I've got to give a shout out to a previous guest I had on the show, uh, Alvaro. Uh, at Alvaro uh, San Martin, you can go and follow him. He's a noob and he fell down the rabbit hole in October if you go back and listen to that interview that I did with him. And he's already trying to give back to the space and he asked me if he, I would help him set up a Bitcoin group uh, that's, um, that can be found at mindstudio.com forward slash Bitcoin. That's M-I-N-D-S studio.com forward slash Bitcoin. And we've already got a group of around eight to 10 people. We're meeting weekly. We are just discussing ideas. We are throwing shit at the wall. We're seeing what sticks. We're trying to up each other's uh, level of education. We're holding each other accountable. It's a really good, fun hour to an hour and a half. Uh, so drop in, take, take a look. It'd be great to, uh, to see that grow and to help more people down the rabbit hole. Uh, and give back to the space as well give back to those people that uh, are perhaps looking for a few more answers and more education of course I want to give a shout out to swanbitcoin.com and coinfloor.co.uk bitten for their continued support of the show if you want to learn anything more about myself you can go to the website once-bitten.com that was uh, put together by At Jim Reaper and you can also check out my book The book is called Choose Life. I wrote this four years ago now, no, five years ago and released it in 2017 and that gives you uh, a little look into how my wife and I extricated ourselves from the usual systems, this was pre-Bitcoin for us at that point, Uh, took our four kids out of school, travelled the world for two and a half years via the sharing economy and just life hacked our way into a different way of living living, rather than just bowing to these systems that we've all become accustomed to. Giacomo, thanks again. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening, sharing, liking, commenting, retweeting. You know I love the banter on Twitter. It's great to see so many followers now. I really appreciate everybody that's, uh, that's, that's helping the show. So I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, take care.